When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, the world of botanical-style aquariums is filled with, you know, new ideas, theories, and some occasional breakthroughs. Now, interestingly, one of the biggest, I don't know, developments, I guess you'd call it, in the botanical-style aquarium world is something which has been with us, literally staring us in the face for many, many decades only recently gaining a bit more traction in our world as more and more hobbyists embark on this path. It's the idea of the aquarium producing food sources for its inhabitants. Now, we've talked about this idea a lot over the past several years, and it's something that is getting more and more difficult to ignore. It's more obvious. If you've followed us for any length of time, you're well aware that we're not just pushing you to play with natural botanical style aquariums only for the pretty aesthetics. I mean, yeah, they look awesome, but there's so much more to it than that. We're almost as obsessed with the function of these aquariums and the wild habitats which they attempt to represent. And one of the most important functions of many botanically influenced wild habitats is the support of food webs. As we've discussed before on this podcast, the leaf litter zones, for example, in tropical waters are home to a remarkable diversity of life, ranging from microbial to fungal, as well as crustaceans and insects. Oh, and fishes, of course, too. Now, these life forms are the basis of a complex and dynamic food web, which is a key to the productivity of these types of habitats. As hardcore enthusiasts of the botanical-style aquarium, you're more than well attuned to the nuances involved in managing a system filled with you know, decomposing leaves, seed pods, wood, all that stuff. And you're keenly aware of the physiological and ecological benefits that have been attributed to the use of these materials in the aquarium. However, I'm willing to bet that many people in the hobby at large have not really considered the nutritional aspects of both botanicals and the life forms they foster as an important part of the function or functional aesthetic dynamic that we've touched on before. Like so many things that we discuss here, It's important to look at the wild habitats from which our fishes come from and consider some of the types of food sources that they might utilize in these wild habitats that we try so hard to replicate in our own tanks. We should have a greater appreciation for them when they appear in our tanks, in my opinion, and perhaps we'll even attempt to foster and utilize them to our fish's benefits in unique ways. I think that's something that'd be really cool. So let's look at some of these things. Um, First, a class of organisms that we call macrophytes. So one of the most important food resources in natural aquatic systems are what is known as macrophytes. They're aquatic plants which grow in and around the water, emerge, submerge, floating, etc. Plants, aquatic plants. Not only do macrophytes contribute to the physical structure and the spatial organization of the water bodies that they live in, they're primary contributors to the overall biological stability of the habitat, conditioning the physical parameters of the water. Of course, anyone who keeps a planted aquarium could attest to this, right? So one of the interesting things about macrophytes is that although there's uh, a lot of fishes which feed directly upon them, i.e. eat the plants, 
The plants themselves are perhaps most valuable as a microhabitat for algae, zooplankton, and other organisms which fishes feed on. Small aquatic crustaceans, you know, they seek out the shelter of plants for both the food resources they provide, you know, zooplankton and diatoms, and for protection from predators, which is, you know, the fishes, right? So plants in the aquarium have been valued by Aquarius pretty much since the beginning of, you know, aquarium keeping for all sorts of benefits. And that's not really groundbreaking. And some fishes do directly consume the plants. And I personally think that one of the more interesting functions of plants in the aquarium is to serve as this sort of feeding ground for fishes in all stages of their existence. Oh yeah, and they, of course, they do look cool as well, right? So perhaps just setting up an aquarium for the purpose of growing plants to feed fishes in multiple formats is a good one. Of course, this kind of POV will pretty much get me trashed by most of my aquatic plant-loving friends. Like, what the fuck, Felman? You're a savage. You're suggesting to set up a you know, planted aquarium to feed my fishes, really? Well, yeah, sort of. Why not? I mean, just think about it. Anyway, onwards. Let's, let's keep going here. So the next classification of organisms are what we call epiphytes. Now, perhaps most interesting to us botanical-style aquarium people, and perhaps far more acceptable to our planted aquarium brethren, are these epiphytes. They're organisms which grow on the surface of plants or other substrates and derive their nutrients from the surrounding environment. They are important in the nutrient cycling and the uptake in both nature and in aquariums. And they add to the biodiversity and serve as a very important food source for many species of fishes. In the case of the aquatic habitats that we just geek out over here, like streams, ponds, and inundated, you know, inundated forests, etc., epiphytes are abundant, and many fishes will spend large amounts of time foraging on the biocover that are that's found on tree trunks, branches, leaves, and other botanical materials. Although most fishes use leaves and tree branches for shelter and not directly as a food item, grazing on this epiphytic growth is very important and a very common activity among fishes. And many other creatures make use of these materials as well. Some organisms, such as nematodes and chironomids, also known as bloodworms to hobbyists, will dig into the leaf structures themselves and feed on the tissues, and ultimately become food sources themselves for our fishes. So the cycle of life and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that's kind of what it is. Speaking of cycle of life, let's talk about the next classification of organisms that I think we need to give a little more respect to. Fungi. I mean, what discussion of epiphytes would be complete without mentioning our buddies, the aquatic hyphomycites, or fungi as they're known to us common folks. The aquatic hyphomycites are specialists at breaking down stuff like leaf litter. Another group of specialists, uh, known as aeroaquatic hyphomycites, colonize submerged plant detritus in stagnant and slow-flowing waters like shallow ponds, puddles, and flooded forest areas. Now, fungal communities differ between various environments, such as streams, shallow lakes, wetlands, deep lakes, and other habitats, even like salt lakes and estuaries. But they're pervasive in aquatic habitats, and they're all fairly similar. And we see them in our own tanks all the time, don't we? Now, fungi tend to colonize wood because it offers them a lot of surface area to thrive and live out their life cycle on. And of course, it provides cellulose, hemocellulose, and lignin, the major components of wood, and of course, botanical materials, these are degraded by fungi, which possess enzymes that can digest these materials. Now, interestingly, fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves in streams. So this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, right? They're very versatile, adaptable organisms. And of course, fishes and invertebrates, which live among and feed directly upon the fungi and decomposing leaves and botanicals, contribute further to the breakdown of these materials as well. 
aquatic fungi can break down the leaf matrix and create the, you know, and make the energy available in these leaves, uh, make it available to feeding animals in these types of aquatic habitats. So it's giving something back to the forest. It's very interesting. And this little gem I'm going to read you from some of my research. This is um, from Subracrop and Gracia in 1993. There's some evidence that detritivores selectively feed on conditioned leaves, i.e. those previously colonized by fungi. Fungi can alter the food quality and palatability of leaf detritus, affecting shredder growth rates. Those shredders, if you remember, those are animals that, uh, that tear up the leaves. That's why they're called shredders. Animals that feed on a diet rich in fungi have higher growth rates and fecundity than those fed on poorly colonized leaves. Some shredders prefer to feed on leaves that are colonized by fungi, where others consume fungal mycelium selectively. Mycelium are the actual threads that you, that you see it coming out of your wood or whatever. Now, conditioned leaves in this context are those which have been previously colonized by fungi. So they make the energy within the leaves and botanicals more available to higher organisms like fishes and invertebrates. This is really fascinating to me. Now, it's easy to get scared shitless by this stuff because it looks pretty contrary to what we've been told is good to see in our aquariums. Yet surprisingly, it's even easier to exploit it as a food source for your animals. This is a huge point that we can't emphasize enough here. We talk about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. The other, you know, boogeyman of the aquarium world is another friend of ours that happens to be a great food source, and that's detritus. The resulting detritus produced by the processed and decomposing plant matter is considered by many ecologists to be an extremely significant source of food for fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where detritus is considered an essential factor in the food webs of these habitats. And food webs, again, are so important, so interesting. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your fishes in the aquariums, like like caracens, cypridids, loricarids, all those kind of fishes, you'll see that in between feedings, they'll spend an awful lot of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank. In a typical botanical-style aquarium, this is a pretty common occurrence, and I believe an important benefit of this type of system. I've been saying that for years. I'm of the opinion that a botanical-style aquarium, complete with its you know, decomposing leaves and seed pods and all that stuff, can serve as a sort of buffet for many fishes, even those whose primary food sources are known to be things like insects and worms and stuff like that. Detritus and the organisms within it can provide an excellent supplemental food source for our fishes. If you look at the gut content analysis of many fishes in these ecological studies, especially, you know, go online and look, you know, look at some of these things, a lot of fishes consist, their diet, the gut content analysis shows a tremendous amount of detritus. And it's well known that many, you know, in many of these habitats, like inundated forests and stuff like that, fishes will adjust their feeding strategies seasonally to utilize the available food sources at different times of the year. Like, for example, the dry season. And it's also known that many fish tend, you know, the fish fry tend to feed actively on bacteria and fungi in these habitats. So again, I suggest that a botanical style aquarium could be an excellent sort of nursery for many fish species. I've talked about this before. I've seen it occur. We've all had fry grow up in a tank that, you know, seems to have no external food inputs that the fry could be. And like a lot of times you will find fry and not even realize that you had them. And you're thinking, how do these get along? What are they eating? They're eating that kind of stuff. And you'll also hear the term paraphyton men- mentioned in a similar context. And I think that for our purpose, we can essentially consider it in the same manner as we do epiphytic matter. Paraphyton is essentially a catch-all term for a mixture of cyanobacteria, algae, various microbes. I know that's a cop-out. 
and of course detritus, which we just talked about, which is found attached or in extremely close proximity to various submerged surfaces. Again, fishes will graze on this stuff can you know continuously throughout the day, throughout their life cycle. And then of course there's the alexonus input that we talk about so much around here. One of those fancy words that I wager to bet you haven't heard of before you started reading our tannin stuff. I think the first time we talked about it was 2017. So we've been putting this out there in the ether for a while. I'm glad to see some people mentioning this now. Alectonous input, just as a refresher, are foods from the surrounding environment, the terrestrial environment, like flowers, fruits, terrestrial insects, etc. And these are extremely important foods for many fish species that live in these habitats. Now, think about this. We mimic this process when we feed our fishes, you know, prepared foods. This stuff literally rains from the sky, which is exactly what happens over forest canopies, right? The insects fall into the water or whatever. Now, I think that what we feed our fishes directly in this fashion is equally as important as how it's fed. You're like, what does that mean? So I'd like to see much more experimentation with the cultivation of foods like ants, fruit flies, which is a common, you know, common uh, organism to feed some fish, and other winged insects. And I said winged insects. Of course, I can hear the protests already. Not in my house, Felman. I get it. I mean, who wants a plague of winged insects getting loose in their suburban home because of some aquarium feeding experiment gone awry, right? That is probably in the realm of, you know, bachelors, bachelorettes, antisocial types, and people with really understanding significant others. So somebody's going to play with this. But that being said, I'd encourage some experimentation with ants and the already fairly common wingless fruit flies. And again, you can find those in a lot of different places in the hobby. You just have to look hard enough. Now, could you imagine one day recommending an ant farm as a piece? Remember those ant farms that you had when you were a kid? An ant farm as a piece of essential aquarium food culture and equipment? I mean, why not, right? You imagine sales of ant farms would just spike and manufacturers would have no reason why. And executives at these companies would think that the kids everywhere were just falling in love with ants again, just like they did in the 60s when the reality is that it's a bunch of fish geeks using them as a terrestrial version of a brine shrimp hatchery. Oh, the horror, right? I mean, come on. So all this talk is great, but how do we start in tank culturing of these supplemental food sources, Falman? I know that you're asking that. It's easy. Just start a botanical-style aquarium. Nature's going to do the rest, really, especially if you don't try to edit the process. Let the biofilms arise. Let the fungal growths do their thing. If you want to seed it with some you know, organisms like copepods, daphnia, paramecium and stuff, go for it. But as many of you may recall, I've you know, sort of enjoyed the desperate calls for help which many hobbyists express with a new piece of driftwood is submerged in the aquarium, often resulting in a big burst of fungi, algal growth, and, you know, biofilm. I kind of watch those forms. I have this sadistic sort of a thing, and I laugh. And I realize this stuff looks pretty shitty to a lot, you know, of hobbyists, and I should be a lot less gleeful about it. But I just think it's kind of funny when these aquascaping snobs freak out about the, the stuff growing out of their wood. And besides, many of these people are the same bastards who go on to become high and mighty aquascapers who continuously trash our philosophies and our methodology. So it is kind of fun, right? It's all fair and love and war. I laugh at their struggles. They laugh at our ideas, right? If they only knew the gift that these things are. Yeah, really. I think we need to let ourselves embrace this stuff. All joking aside and all my ridiculous negativity aside, we really need to embrace this. I think that those of us who maintain you know, botanical style aquariums, blackwater aquariums, natural aquariums, whatever we want to call them, have already made that sort of mental shift to understand, accept, and even appreciate the appearance of this stuff. 
Perhaps other aquarists will eventually come around on this. When you start seeing your fish's graze casually on the materials that pop up on your driftwood and your botanicals, you start realizing that, although it may not be the aesthetics that contest judges have in mind, it's a beautiful thing to our fishes. And my ultimate guilt and sympathy towards the hapless aquascaping crowd makes me think that an evolved preparation technique for driftwood might be to age it in an aquarium that also serves as an acclimation system for certain fishes. For example, fishes like headstanders. Uh, I'm thinking of Chalotus punctatus, one of my favorites, the spotted headstander. Leperinus, uh, pencil fishes, various loaches, catfishes, and barbs. They'd be excellent additions to this driftwood prep tank. So you could get the benefit of having the gunky stuff accumulate on the wood outside of your main display, as you know, if it bothers you, of course, while helping acclimate some really cool fishes to captivity. I'm just throwing the idea out there. I think it would be a really cool one, and I'd love to see some people playing with that. And of course, we've talked before about that botanical nursery concept. I just mentioned it, creating an aquarium for fish fry that has a large quantity of decomposing botanicals and leaves to foster the production of these materials, which serve as supplemental food for your fish fry. I've done this before myself, and I can test to you its viability. Your fishes will have a constant supply of natural foods to supplement what you're feeding them in the early phases of their life learn to make peace with your detritus and for like the 20th time here on the tent i need to call your attention to my highly successful leaf litter only aquarium attempts these simple to configure yet ecologically complex tanks may be the ultimate expression of this self-generating food concept it's literally a layer of leaves I'll leave it alone add fishes watch what happens now, this little discussion has probably not created any earth-shattering you know, new developments, but I believe that I've at least looked at a few of the terms and ideas that you see bandied about now again and again here in the you know, hobby discussions and maybe, maybe in some literature, uh, and perhaps clarifying their significance to us. And I think it's really about us understanding what happens in nature and how we can work with it instead of against it. I know a common theme I say a lot, right? But taking advantage of the food sources that she provides us to our fishes when we don't rush off for the algae scraper and the siphon hose before considering the upside. These life forms are real gifts from nature. And you can benefit from them simply by working the web of life, which arises without our intervention as soon as leaves, wood, botanicals, and water mix as they've done in nature for eons. It's another mental shift, I know, yet one which many of you have probably already made, no doubt, and many more will benefit from making. I certainly look forward to seeing many examples of us utilizing what we've got to the advantage of our fishes. Stay thoughtful, stay resourceful, stay observant, stay creative, stay engaged, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tenth.